Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. Well, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to continue our series titled Grace Upon Grace. And this weekend, we're talking about something that hits home for me big time. And I won't say I've been dreading this message. I've just known it was coming for several months. Uh, and because I, I have struggled with this uh, issue for a really long time and still uh, struggle with it, and I'm trying to, to overcome it and, and really put this to death in my life, uh, I haven't been the most excited about preaching this message, but last night we had a phenomenal time uh, of ministry. I believe God really is desiring to do a deep work in many of our hearts this weekend because we're talking about perfectionism this weekend. And you might be thinking, why in the world are we talking about perfectionism in a series on grace? And the answer is really simple because perfectionism, when you, when you really break it down, is simply a refusal to extend yourself grace. That's what perfectionism is. Perfectionism, and last night I got some questions, and I really, because many people think perfectionism is just a high attention to detail. No, you can be attentive to detail and not a perfectionist. It's called striving for excellence. That's a good thing. That's what we're called to do as believers. But the difference between striving for excellence and perfectionism is while striving for excellence will cause you to set a high standard, perfectionism, even when you reach the high standard, perfectionism says it's still not enough. Perfectionists are never satisfied. They will achieve the victory they set out to, to achieve, and even when they achieve it, they might be happy, but they're not fully satisfied because that inner critical voice they have says, it's not enough, it's not enough, you could have done better. And so we're going to talk about perfectionism today. And, and I want to answer, if you're a perfectionist, if you struggle with perfectionism, uh, I want you to take really, really good notes during this message. If you don't struggle with perfectionism, but you know someone who does, then take twice as many notes because you might be able to help. And it actually, even more than helping someone you love that battles perfectionism, it might help you know how to love them even better and even more. So let me answer, if you're a perfectionist, if you struggle with this, let me ask and answer three quick questions that kind of give us a baseline before we get into the meat of the message. First question, what is perfectionism? Here's the most simple definition I can give you. A compulsion to strive for flawlessness. A compulsion to strive for flawlessness. What is the root of perfectionism? Second question. At its core, what is the root of perfectionism? The desire to not let someone down and the fear of never being enough. At its core, that's where perfectionism comes from. I don't want to let somebody down, and I'm, and I'm afraid that's never going to be enough. And then here's the really big question. What is the lie of perfectionism? And here's the answer. God and people will love me more when I do well and love me less when I fall short. That is the lie of perfectionism. 
that if you struggle with it, you need to understand it's not the truth. I've thought that way from time to time. I've thought that way as the pastor of this church. If I mess up, they're not going to love me as much. If I don't do well, they're not going to love me as much. And listen, I've got to be able to, to honestly and publicly say the desire of my heart, as long as the Lord leads, is that I be able to pastor this church for the next 30 years of my life. And so when I process that, I don't want to do anything to mess it up. And sometimes, without even realizing it, because I battle perfectionism, I get so uptight because I convince myself I have to be flawless. But you know what the reality is? Every time I get in this pulpit, you see at least one of my flaws. It's not that I think that I'm perfect. It's that deep down, I've convinced myself that I need to be in order to be who God made me to be. And that is not the way God intended us to live. So if you battle perfectionism, there's only two points in this message, and they're very, very important. Here's the first one. What does perfectionism cost you? Perfectionism is expensive. And for those of us who battle perfectionism, I don't think we always understand the cost of perfectionism. What does it cost? Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you a couple. The first thing perfectionism costs you, power. It costs you power. Perfectionists miss out on power because their pride refuses to allow them to admit they need more of it. And listen to what the Bible says. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our perfection. Sorry, in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace, God says, is all you need. My power works best in your perfection. No. God's power works best in my weakness. So Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, I want you to see this picture. If you battle perfectionism, see the picture. From time to time, you try and do something, and it, it's more than you can handle. And I want you just to see the picture. God comes to you and says, hey, w- would you like some help with that? I-, I can help you with that. And for those of us who battle perfectionism, from time to time, we're tempted to say, no, no, I got it. I got it. I'm good. And yet we're making loud noises like that guy at the gym benching very light weights. No, I got it, God, I got it. I can do this. God says, are you sure? Because uh, it kind of looks like you need some help, Preston. No, no, I got this. I can do it. Just give me one more, t- one more chance. And it's as though God says, well, I guess if you've got it, then you don't need me in this situation, do you? Here's one of the keys to understanding the Christian life, okay? And this is, I believe, one of the top five keys that we all need to understand in order to fully live out the Christian life, that God doesn't want us to live this life for him. He desires we live this life with him. So when when you need help, if you battle perfectionism and you're afraid to admit, I need help, Don't see it as, well, I'm weak and I'm admitting I can't do it. See it as when God comes to you and says, hey, you need a little help? It's his way of saying, let's do this together. Don't struggle in doing this all by yourself. I desire to do this with you. But if our pride will not allow us to admit we need help, not only do we miss out on the power, 
we miss out on the opportunity to do it with God. Here's the second thing perfectionism costs us. It costs us moments. Moments. Perfectionists are so fixated on the details of life that it oftentimes derails them from what truly matters. And if you struggle with perfectionism, write this one-liner down, all right? And then you'll have context for it when we read Luke 10 here in a second. Perfectionists see mistakes as often as they miss moments. Perfectionists see mistakes as often as they miss moments. Okay, think about this. If, If you struggle with perfectionism, you know you see a lot of mistakes. Last night, we were singing Amazing Grace at the end of the service. And we, we messed up, and we sang the same line back to back. In a message for perfectionists, and we mess up the song. It's almost like God was going, I'm just going to play with them a little bit here. But let's just, I, wanna, I want this to get off of them. I don't, I don't want them to live like this anymore. Because I know they see the mistakes, but here's how we need to process if we battle perfectionism. That as often as we see mistakes, we miss out on moments. Now, if you have your Bible, look in Luke chapter 10. This is probably one of the quintessential stories related to perfectionism in the Bible. And I want you to see how a moment is missed. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, this is the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Because you know that's what the perfectionist sounds like. Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. This word distracted is the word perispato, and it means that Martha's attention was drawn away by the burden, not just the details, by the burden of her duties. And Martha basically blames Mary for not being able to sit with Jesus. Do you notice that? You notice what else she does? She does it right there in front of Mary. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha comes in and says, Jesus, Mary's sitting right there. Don't you think it's unfair that my sister sits here like a lazy person while I do all the work? Right in front of Mary's face. Jesus says, oh, Martha, you're so fixated on the details that you forgot you're in the same room as the Son of God. Jesus is saying, Martha, you're missing a moment. You're so fixated on making sure everything's right. I love that Jesus is in essence saying to Martha, Martha, I was so excited to come to your home 
and have dinner with you. I was not excited to come to your home and be served dinner by you. I wanted to have a meal together. I came into your home to savor a moment with you, Martha, not to be served a meal by you. But you're so uptight about all the details, and that's what we do as perfectionists. Everything's got to be perfect. Child's birthday party, they're turning 13. Everything's got to be absolutely perfect, and we're so obsessed with the details, we don't even allow ourselves to enjoy the birthday party. What a tragedy. Jesus says to Martha, hey, those details don't matter in in the grand scheme of eternity. Stop all that, Martha. Just be with me. You see, every perfectionist has to decide whether they're going to go into the other room and perfect their presentation or they're going to stay in the room with Jesus and be present in his presence. Mary figured it out. Martha thought the right thing was, Jesus deserves the best. He deserves the best. So I'm going to leave the room with Jesus, go into the kitchen, make sure everything is perfect. And Jesus is going, hey, don't leave. I don't care how perfect the meal is. I just want to be with you right now. And if we're not careful as perfectionists, we'll miss out on some really special moments, not just with God, but also with those that we love. That brings us to the third thing that perfectionism costs us. It costs us relationships. How do you think Mary felt when Martha called her out in front of Jesus? I mean, think about it. She's probably a little bit upset, right? I mean, we we don't see it, but I wonder if if this didn't lead to the first cat fight in Scripture. (laughs) Martha just calls her out right in front of Jesus. Don't you think that that negatively affected their relationship a little bit? Of course it did. That frequently happens with perfectionists. In fact, perfectionists oftentimes focus more on the petty than they do on people. They, know, they, they drill down and they notice everything that's wrong with what's going on. And they forget the people that God put in their lives. If you struggle with perfectionism, I want you to write this, this one-liner down. I'm going to say it twice because this really needs to sink in. Intimacy suffocates when all your energy is spent being an assessment agency for the ones you love. Let me say it again. I might say it three times just so it sinks in. Intimacy suffocates when all your energy is spent being an assessment agency for the ones you love. As perfectionists, we know this is something that from time to time we struggle with. We don't just hold ourselves to a perfect standard. We begin to hold those we love to an unhealthy, unrealistic, perfect standard. You know, it's perfectly okay to be a little perfectionistic in your job. Not a perfectionist, but to be perfectionistic. I mean, think about it. If you're a surgeon... Actually, if, if you're going in for surgery, do you want a surgeon who's not a perfectionist? I mean, do you want a surgeon who goes in and, oh, 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 didn't mean to cut that artery. It's okay, though. This is a grace-filled environment. 
It's all right. Beep. Nurses are freaking out. It's okay. There's grace. Nothing but grace in the room. I don't want a surgeon like that. I want a surgeon who processes surgery in this way. Every mistake matters. I've got to be at my best. I don't want a surgeon who just kicks back and goes, ha, no big deal. Think about it. It's okay for a surgeon to be a little bit of a perfectionist in surgery, but what's not okay is when the surgeon goes home and holds his wife and children or husband and children to the same standard he or she holds themselves to in the emergency room. It's not okay. It's not okay if you're a CEO and you hold yourself to an unbelievably high standard and it's helped you be successful. That's great. It's the way God wired you. But it's not okay to go home and hold your children, your spouse, to the same standard that you hold yourself to as the CEO of a publicly traded company. You have to know the balance of striving for excellence. Well, how do I know I struggle with perfectionism at home? Well, if you have children, ask your children. Just say, uh, do you ever feel like when you try your hardest, it's not good enough for me? And if they say yes, here's your sign. You're a perfectionist. You know one of the things I've learned? Have you ever seen a parent, a dad on a sideline of a child's sporting event yelling and screaming at the child who just booted a ball at first base? What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Put your glove down. Okay. Do you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the father is not actually upset or disappointed with the child who just booted the ball. That's not why they're yelling. You know why they're yelling? Because deep down, they're disappointed and humiliated by themselves. That's why they yell. They don't yell because a child made an error. They yell because they can't help but fixate on all of their errors. Perfectionism affects our relationships. It can rob us of intimacy in the most beautiful relationships God desired us to experience on the earth. When we hold others to an unrealistic, unhealthy, impossible standard. What we're saying to them is, if you can't hit this mark, you don't deserve my love. That's not okay. I don't want your children or my children growing up in that environment. God doesn't either. Perfectionism can cost us relationships. Here's the fourth thing. That perfectionism can cost us. It can cost us miracles. This is crazy when I saw this in scripture this week. Perfectionism can actually cost us miracles. Flip over a couple chapters to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read this out of the King James Version. And I think a part of the reason I did was because uh, the word smite is in this passage in the King James Version. I just want to say, oh, smite me, oh, smiter, in, in a message uh, but actually, there's a phrase in the King James, and it's the only translation that, in, in my opinion, 
translates this accurately and appropriately. This is the story of Jesus in the garden. And when I start out reading this, you're going to have no idea what this story is about. So I'm going to help interpret it. And you're going to know in the first 10 words of this passage why none of us read the King James Version anymore. Okay? Luke chapter 22, verse 49. Jesus is being arrested before he is to be crucified. Verse 49. When they which were about him, that's speaking of the disciples, by the way. When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them, Peter, smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far. Isn't that how you talk at the grocery store? Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Okay, I want you to really understand what's going on. Jesus is being arrested. They're dragging him away. Peter pulls out his dagger, thinking he's doing the right thing, protecting Jesus, and cuts off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And this act right here, he could be put to death for this act. But Peter, in the moment, because we all know Peter, had, he didn't just have foot and mouth disease, he had uncontrolled, ridiculous, crazy, you're always wrong disease. Peter just slices off his ear. And I love the way that the King James says that Jesus, while being drug off, shouts out, suffer ye thus far. And here's what that phrase means. Let me do one more thing before I have to go. Before you take me away, let me do one more thing. It's Jesus' way of saying, I know how Peter is. He will beat himself up for this. Before you take me away, let me do one more thing. Let me make Peter's mistake right. Because in 24 hours, he's going to make what he thinks is the biggest mistake of his life. And I need him to understand how quickly I can make right his mistakes. Jesus says, suffer ye thus far. If you struggle with perfectionism, I hope you hear that phrase every week for the rest of your life. Suffer ye thus far. Hey, it's King James Version. It sounds spiritual. Jesus says, hold on before you take me away. Let me do one more thing. I'm not just going to heal Malchus. I'm going to make Peter's mistake right. Do you realize, for those of us who battle perfectionism, you need to really understand this, that every mistake you invite Jesus into is an opportunity for you to see a miracle. Think about all your mistakes. And I know, as a perfectionist, you struggle with involving God in your low moments. This was a low moment for Peter. Peter did the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time. There was nothing he did that was right. And Jesus said, it's okay. Peter's on a journey. He's in a process. Come here, Malchus. I've got to make this mistake right. What would it change for those of us who battle perfectionism, if we actually began to believe that the God of the universe 
thoroughly enjoys making our mistakes right. I think for some of us, it would cause us to celebrate our mistakes. Do you realize, I, I, I said to the Lord this week, I want to make more mistakes because it means one of two things. Either I'm trying new things or I've given up trying to be flawless. Now, I hate to admit this, but I have been known, Holly knows this, she's watched me, I have been known to take 15 minutes to perfect a four-sentence uh, uh, text. I will read it over and over and over again and perfect the grammar, make sure it's absolutely perfect. You know what the funny thing is? Most of the time, the person receiving the text doesn't even have good grammar anyways. I just didn't have good grammar. I said, hat, I, I, it's okay. I want to make mistakes because it means either I'm doing things I've never done or I've given up on trying to be flawless. If I send you a text and, and there's a, a mistake in the punctuation, you don't need to correct me because I'm on the other line going, I did it. I did it. I'm okay with it. It's not killing me. That was totally wrong. Never mind. Not going to be able to sleep tonight. But it's okay. It's just a little mistake. Listen, oftentimes our mistakes make the perfect playground for God to do a miracle. Now here's the second question, and this is the last point. How, how do we put an end to perfectionism? For those of us who struggle with it, how do we put an end to it? There are two things. Let me give you the first one. Confidently confess this. I intentionally put a dot, dot, dot there. Confidently confess. What should I, as a perfectionist, confidently confess? I haven't given you the title of the message because I'm about to give it to you. This is what, if you struggle with perfectionism, you should confidently confess, and it happens to be the title of the message. I have issues. It's liberating. I have issues, man. I mean, serious issues sometimes. Confess it. You know, you know why? That's what the Bible says. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. I'm just going to start using the King James every week from now on. <laughs> confess your faults one to another. This word confess is the Greek word exomologeo. And here's what it means. To declare, to say out loud, to exclaim, to divulge. And here's my favorite definition, to blurt. To blurt, confess your faults one to another. It means literally just blurt it out. Don't, don't try and perfect it and, and you know, kind of make it sound really pretty. No, 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 just blurt it out. I got issues. It's liberating. And listen, here's the crazy thing. For those of us who battle perfectionism, whomever you're confessing that to already knows. They already know we have issues. Why are we so afraid to confess them? Here's why. Because as perfectionists, we've convinced ourselves that others might use our weaknesses against us. Listen, you can't be intimate with someone without being vulnerable with them. Confess your faults one to another. Blurt it out. 
This word false in the Greek means a failing or falling in some area of one's life. And God knows, listen, when I say, whomever you confess to already knows you have issues, so does God. Psalm chapter 103, verse 14, for he, God, knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Confidently confess. You want to know how to overcome perfectionism? Now, listen, you don't need to go into the grocery store, perfectionist, and grab the microphone and say, I'd like to make an announcement. I have issues. Okay, it doesn't have to be like that. You don't need to be like me and stand up in front of the whole church and say, I have issues. But you do need to get more comfortable being honest about your imperfections. Get confident in confessing your shortcomings. Because if you don't, you're just going to bottle them up and hold on to them. And even in the greatest peaks of success, you're still going to be overwhelmed with depression because you don't think it's enough. The more comfortable you get confessing your faults, the easier it's going to be to celebrate even your mistakes in life. Here's the second thing we have to do to overcome perfectionism. We have to obsessively own that, dot, dot, dot. As a perfectionist, in order to overcome it, what should I obsessively own? I want you to remember this phrase. It's not about me, but Christ in me. You got to own that. It's not about me. It's about Christ in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. That sounds like a perfectionist talking, doesn't it? Listen to this next part. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Uh, apostles, mm-hmm. Yeah, you got issues, Paul. That's what you got. Pride being a little bit one of them. I've worked harder than all of them. Listen to what he says next, though. Yet, it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Paul says, I realize it wasn't me. It was Christ in me. This last week, I was uh, in California for a conference uh, with some of the staff that Pastor Rick Warren was doing. And while I was there, I met with... uh, one of the therapists, Brad wants me to call them emotional coach. Uh, I met with one of the therapists that, that we met with when we went through Henry Cloud's process about six, seven months ago. And Holly was with me. And listen, let me just say this. For those of you who, and Holly was one of these people, if you have been programmed to think that only weak people go to a therapist, don't read about anyone's success stories. Don't read about CEOs. Don't read about Some of the most successful athletes, CEOs, leaders in the world meet with someone on a regular basis to make sure they're doing okay emotionally and inwardly. It's not weak to meet with someone, okay? It's actually weak to think you don't need to. So I was meeting with a therapist this week, and Holly was with me, and we were getting down. It was all about me and and some of the things I'm trying to work on uh, to be able to pastor this church for the next 30 years if that's what God wants. And she was listening to kind of my wiring, and she said, Preston, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you received a compliment after a sermon? And she said, before you answer, I said received, not heard. When was the last time you received a compliment when someone came up to you after a sermon and said, that was amazing, thank you so much, da-da-da-da. 
And I said, at least 10 years. At least 10 years. And she said, why? I said, well, because back in the day, I used to really struggle with pride. And when someone gave me a compliment, I would own it and say, that's right. Listen to what that person said about me. I'm amazing. I didn't say that to their face, but that's what I was saying in my heart when they said it. I agree with you. I'm amazing. <laughs> Obviously, the Lord dealt with that. But the problem is I went from one ditch to the other. And for at least the last 10 years, when someone pays me a compliment and says, thank you so much. I heard God say something to me in that message I've never heard him say before. Here's what I've done. God did that. That's a, look what God did. That's amazing. Look what God did. And I don't receive it. I just say it's all God. It's all God. And here's what I'm learning. No, it's not all God. It's Christ in me. It's both of us. Listen, if you're a perfectionist, if you struggle with this, you need to understand the balance of this statement. You are inept alone. But you are amazing in Christ. And here's what the Lord helped me understand yesterday morning as I was processing this message, that when someone after a service pays a compliment to me and says they heard God speak, that God is standing there as well. And he said, Preston, here's what I'm doing. As they're paying a compliment saying, I've never heard God say something like that to me before. I've never felt God's presence in a message like that or in a service like that. Preston, I'm standing there looking at you, looking at them going, Preston, look what we just did. Blew my mind. The God of the universe is celebrating doing something with me. I want to carry that balance for the rest of my life. I don't want to be on one ditch that says, I'm amazing. I don't want to be in the other ditch that says, God is amazing and I'm just a worm. I want to live in the middle of God's will where God celebrates every time he and I do something together. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.